Moving is a lot like a blur. It's hectic and crazy, and you're just trying to get everything where it needs to go. I am sitting in my room on my bed in our new apartment. My hopes for what the space is going to be is to have a home where women and our small group can come and just really take a minute to exist together and have that rest. So when I was 17, there were some circumstances where the person who was so instrumental in my faith ended up leaving church, and that became just the beginning of me feeling like church wasn't a safe place. It was really hard on our youth group, and we felt wronged as a community, as a group. Some people never returned to church, and I was one of the people that kind of lost faith in church and what it was supposed to mean, which was family. I felt really hopeless for any sort of future that had meaningful, deep relationships. I lost any hope for people reaching into my life because I felt like I was never going to be able to trust people enough for that again. It's like looking at people through a double-sided mirror where you can see them, but they can't see you. In your head, you make yourself think it's to keep people in your life, but honestly, it keeps everyone out. You are truly and completely alone because you don't let anybody in. There I was in this darkness, went through about three years of that, and then felt a small call to Charleston. When I first came to Seacoast down here, I got plugged into a small group, and I was trying to posture my heart in a position of being open to healing and relationships, but also just this hesitance of, am I really ready to let people see this, this person, this version of me, all of the mess, all of the junk. The next six months changed my life of rebuilding my trust with people and learning that God does not want me to be isolated. I started making a lot of friends who, with the women who were in the group and talking with them one-on-one -on -one about passions of our heart and really connecting with them and realizing there was a real big need for a women's group. Having iron chirp and iron on a level that you can't really do in a co-ed group all the time. And Taylor, she came up to me after group and she said, it is so funny that you brought this up because I have also been feeling this desire, but I can't do it by myself. In the process of transitioning from a girl who was afraid and isolated and didn't know who she was anymore, I'd lost so much of my identity, and transitioning into this community, this family that tells you your fear is not of God. That fear no longer has power over my life. Definitely choosing family over fear and letting God speak into your life has changed everything for me, and I'll never be the same. All right, well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope that wherever you may be joining us from, whether it may be in Somerville at our Somerville campus or West Ashley at our West Ashley campus, hope you're having a good morning as well. 
I know that we could all agree, however, that there are some people in our world today who are not having as good a morning. There are some folks on the Gulf Coast getting battered by a storm right now. There's some people in Afghanistan facing a whole different kind of crisis. So before we jump in this morning, I wanted to take a minute as a church family to just pray for them, if you would join me. Father, we are grateful for the day that you've made and pray that we would find joy in it. But uh, God, we, we carry the burdens of um, friends, uh, family, uh, people we don't even know, but they matter to us uh, who are facing a whole different kind of storm in their lives. Uh, some are taking refuge from a physical storm. Some are taking refuge from a, a, a whole different kind of deal in Afghanistan. And we, we just pray for your protection and covering over them. We pray for the people who have had the courage to sacrifice, put themselves in harm's way to protect others. We pray for the family members of those individuals, that you would be with them as well. Cover them. Uh, we pray that you would bring your peace out of these storms. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so you, I want you to know that <clears throat> we are already involved in those different uh, places. We're involved in what's going to happen in the, on the Gulf Coast. We're involved in what's happening in Ga Afghanistan. If you want to join us in that, feel free. You can text the word relief plus any amount to 320-320. And then, uh, you know, just do whatever you feel led to do. You don't have to, but we invite you to. We're going to be involved no matter what. So that said, so we started a new series last week called ISO. And if you've ever bought or sold anything online, you know what this means. Say it with me, in search of, right? So today, we're going to talk about something that we're all in search of. We're in search of friendships, good relationships. And as I was preparing for the message, it made me think about a story about two old fishermen. They'd been friends for a long time. They fished together nearly every day at the same old pier. And one day, they had gone down to the pier, gotten in their usual spot, had been there a couple of hours, and along came this young new game warden, walks up to the guys and Says, hey, fellas, and they just kind of grunted at him. And then he looked down in their bucket and saw they'd already caught a few fish. He said, hey, guys, looks like y'all are doing okay. You mind if I see your fishing licenses? Now, they'd fished this pier nearly every day. No one had ever asked them to see their fishing licenses, so they didn't bother to carry them anymore. But they knew that with a bunch of fish in the bucket and no fishing license in their pocket, they were facing some hefty fines. And so in a moment of panic, they looked at each other and then one of the fishermen said to the game warden, officer, these fish are not fish we caught. These fish are our pets. <laughs> game warden looked at the two fishermen and said, is that so? He said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The other one jumped in and said, that's right. We come down here every day. We throw these fish in the water and let them swim around. Then we whistle and they jump right back in our bucket. <laughs> said, is that right? Yes, sir. That's how it works. Okay, well. How about you let me see how that works? Let's see him jump in and jump back in your bucket. So he said, no problem. One of the fishermen reaches down, grabs the bucket, throws it in the water. The fish starts swimming around just like they said. Then the game warden looks at him and says, okay, guys, now let me see you whistle and get them to jump back in your bucket. Let me see you get those fish back in your bucket. And the two fishermen look at the game warden and said, what fish? <laughs> if you don't get it, just tap someone on the shoulder. They'll explain it for you. We all need good friendships. We need good friends, not necessarily the kind of friends 
who will lie to get you out of trouble, but we all need good friendships. The question is, how do we find them? Last week, Pastor Josh Surratt talked about why we need good friends and how loneliness was the first problem that God addressed in the Bible. But this week, we're going to talk about how to create great friendships, great relationships. We're going to look at what it takes to create that, what kind of character we need to cultivate in order to have great relationships. So the title for this message is In Search of Character. Who do we need to become in order to have great relationships in our lives? Could be relationships with friends, family members, maybe even your spouse. But what's it going to take? What kind of character is required to have great relationships in these different areas of our lives? And to answer the question, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus shared with a diverse group of people. Now, this was, you probably, I don't know if you know, but a parable is a period-relevant story meant to, create, uh, to communicate a deeper meaning. That's all it is, just a story with a bigger meaning behind it. This is one of his most popular parables. You all probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And here's how it goes. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So when he, so when he, I lost my place, here we go. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to, feed his, to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Now, something I didn't read for you earlier in the chapter, Luke mentions who Jesus is talking to. It's a broad group of people that included sinners, tax collectors, and church people. Covers the spectrum, basically. And I'll explain more about that as we go, but when we first look at the parable, it can be easy to focus on just one person, on the younger son. The son who asked for his inheritance early. The son who went out and blew it all. This is the prodigal. He's the one we tend to focus on. But there are two other characters here in the story. There's the older brother and there's the father. The father who we often see as God. He's full of mercy and kindness. He's loving towards his son even after his son betrayed him. It's easy to see God the father in the prodigal son's father. But there's also the older brother, the brother who stayed when the younger one left, the brother who was rigidly focused on his duties to his father. He's usually the most overlooked character in the story because at first glance, it looks like he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. But I think Jesus is trying to point something out here in this parable because Jesus wasn't just speaking to the tax collectors and sinners represented by the younger brother, he was also speaking to the church people, the Pharisees, represented by the older brother. And and Jesus didn't share just one story here. In fact, he's in the middle of three different stories, all related to this idea of loss. First, he talks about a man losing a sheep, then a woman losing a coin, and now this father losing his son. But there's a shift as he starts to talk about this lost son. Because in in the case of the Other two stories, there's just one other character, the person who experienced the loss. With the sheep, it was the shepherd. With the coin, it was a woman. But in this parable, there are other characters. There's a father and also an older brother, which means that we aren't meant to simply focus here on the son who was lost, but also on the older brother who let him go. Now, if you recall, it was the father who saw the son from a long way off. And when he did, he took off running for him. And in Jewish culture, this should never have happened. It was very taboo for an older Hebrew man to run at any time. Because to do so, they would have had to gather up their robes, cinch them around their waist, exposing their old man legs as they ran. It just wasn't a good look. It was very taboo in Hebrew culture. It should not have been the father who went after the son. It should have been the older brother. And that's what makes the parable of the prodigal son such a good template for relationships. Because as much as this parable is about salvation and what it looks like to return to God, it's also a parable about what it will take to have great relationships. What kind of character we will need to cultivate to have the kinds of relationships we want. And here's how the text frames it for us. Great relationships require courage. Great relationships require honor. And great relationships require sacrifice. So let's look at the first one. Great relationships require courage. As we look at the Father, we can see how much courage it takes to pursue someone in a relationship. It took courage for the Father to forgive and set aside the Son's betrayal. It took courage For the father to pursue a son who walked out on him. The father had to be willing to be rejected all over again. That's what it takes to have great relationships. We will have to be willing to take 
a risk. We have to be willing to demonstrate our commitment even before the other person has demonstrated the same towards us. Great relationships require the courage to be emotionally honest and vulnerable, and that kind of exposure can make them scary. Now, I've got some some friends, personal friends, who are all in different ways going through some really challenging stuff in their lives. One is walking through a really tough divorce. One is dealing with kind of a personal career crisis. Another is going through a family health crisis. And every so often, I will reach out to check on these guys just to make sure they're doing okay. Every couple weeks, week or so, I'll just send them a text, just real brief. It often looks something like this. Hey man, praying for you, you good. Now don't undervalue what's happening here. This is next level intimacy for men right here, okay? (laughs) Just saying. Now if I don't hear from them after a while, I'll hit them again. Hey man, praying for you, you good. Copy paste is a beautiful thing, right? If I still don't hear from them, then the threats begin. And I'll send something like this. Hey friend, if I don't hear from you soon, I'm gonna drive by your house to make sure you're okay. Now I am fully aware that at any point, these guys could just tell me to go pound sand. They could say something like this. Leave me alone. That's possible. Just don't want to hear from me. Or they could say, unsubscribe, lose my number. Or they could say something like this, new number, who dis? I don't want to hear from you anymore. But I truly don't care. Like, it's not that there isn't any risk in what I'm doing. The risk of being rejected is always there. But I don't care. I feel like It's my responsibility to care for these guys. Because someone did it for me, it is my joy to do it for them. The bottom line is that it takes courage to have great relationships with people. You have to be willing to take some risks. Now, let me read a quote to you. I'll give you a million dollars if you can guess who said this. I don't have a million dollars. It's a safe bet for me. The quote goes something like this. Everyone is fighting the same battle. We're all suffering from a lack of connection with the people we love. Now, I know you're thinking, it's C.S. Lewis. Adam can't give a message without quoting C.S. Lewis. Most of the time, that's true. Today, it's not true. In fact, this person's not a pastor. They're not a Christian author. I don't even know if they're a Christian. This was actually said by 12-time world champion surfer Kelly Slater. Even the world knows that we are all suffering from a lack of connection with the people we love. So here's the question to consider. Is it time to stop suffering? Is it time to stop suffering and take a risk? If you want to have great relationships, you will have to have the courage to get connected with people who can love you, challenge you, inspire you. And this weekend, we're making it as easy as possible for you. You text one word, connect, to 320-320. You get a list of options. You tell us what kind of group you're looking for. Someone from our team will follow up to help you find it. It's all it takes. But you will have to have the courage to take that first step. So great relationships require courage. 
but they also require honor. If you want to have great relationships with people, we must learn how to honor them. We must learn how to honor their story by holding it carefully, even confidentially, meaning they should be able to trust us with what they're willing to share with us. We must be willing to honor them with others, meaning that we will choose to protect their reputation, speaking well of them, even if others don't. And we must be willing to honor them even when it's not deserved, meaning we will choose to show them respect even if we're disrespected by them. The Apostle Paul talks about this when he writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, that word humility, it's a very long Greek word. I won't bore you with it, but literally what it means is lowliness of mind. It means in your mind, practically, to put yourself lower than other people, giving them the higher position. It's a choice. We see this posture in the prodigal son's father. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but the, but the father could have heard the son out. He could have listened to the speech the son had prepared and afterwards could have said to him something like this. You know what? I accept. I accept your offer to be one of my hired servants. You're right. You don't deserve to be my son anymore. You ran out on us. You abandoned me. You abandoned the family. But I will let you work for me. We'll just see where it goes from there. The father could have said all of that to his son, within his rights to do so. But if he had, he would have had a very different relationship with his father, with his son, than if he'd just forgiven him. Instead, the father chose to take a low position and give his son the higher one. Instead, he chose to honor him. Now, I know some of you may be thinking like, all right, it sounds great, Adam. I, I get it. It's probably true. I should do it. But be, let's be real. I can't honor people who are not honorable people. And while I get that, I understand it. A statement like that means we've probably lost sight of something. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Babe Ruth, arguably the best baseball player of all time. Even if you don't know baseball, you've heard of Babe Ruth. With more than 700 career home runs, he was given nicknames like the Great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash. If you saw the movie The Sandlot, then you know all of this. And if you haven't seen the movie The Sandlot, I'm not sure we can be friends. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, during his career, he signed countless baseballs, gave them away to his fans. But he only signed about eight bats. And while those baseballs that he signed are worth several thousands of dollars, the bats that he signed are worth more than a million. Now, I have a friend who is a big-time sports memorabilia collector. He happens to have one of those eight bats. We were talking, and he said, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to let you borrow the bat. You do have to wear gloves, so that's what this is all about. But... For the purpose of your message, I'm willing to let you borrow it. Now, it's terrifying for me to think about even handling something like this, but this is 
one of the eight bats, thank you, Caitlin, that Babe Ruth signed. I don't even want to think about what this is worth. It's crazy. And if you look really close, like, Maybe we'll keep that part between us. I'm just kidding. Babe Ruth never signed this bat. This is a piece of junk I got offline for 10 bucks. Why? Why would I do that to you? Why would I put you through that? Because I want to make a point. It is true that Babe Ruth only signed about eight bats during his career. It is true that they sell for more than a million dollars. You see, if Babe Ruth had actually signed this bat, then it deserves a certain amount of respect and honor, right? We would have treated it differently simply because of whose name is on it. The same is true for me and you. We were made in God's image. And for that reason alone, we ought to learn how to respect and honor each other. Simply because of whose name is on us. Honor allows us to treat one another with respect, even when it may not be deserved. Because we can see the signature of God on somebody despite their faults. And that allows us to show them honor, even when we don't agree with them. Or even when they hurt us. Think about your best relationships, your best friends. They're probably with people that you find easy to honor, right? But I hope from this parable, you'll see that there's at least one reason, one very important reason that we should show honor to everyone, to anyone. So the question is this, who is God inviting me to honor? Who is it? It's somebody. It's good for us to show honor to other people because it keeps us from becoming self-interested. And it's necessary for us to learn to honor each other if we want to have great relationships. So great relationships require courage. Great relationships require honor. And great relationships require sacrifice. Now this one might seem obvious, but let me explain what I'm talking about. Henry Nouwen says there are three basic movements of the human spirit. We can move away from each other. We can move against each other. Or we can move towards each other. And whenever we move towards something or someone, we inevitably move away from something else. It's just what happens. Think about it this way. If you want to run a marathon, right, you probably ought to move towards a healthier diet and away from an unhealthy one. To train at that level, the body's going to demand a certain level of nutrition that an unhealthy diet just can't provide. Now, you could train for a marathon on hot dogs and ice cream, but it's not going to go well for you. It'd be hilarious for us to watch, but it's going to be a bad day for you. The biblical writers used this kind of paradox all the time. They would present an idea that was true, and then they would present its opposite as false. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Psalm 119. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. What the writer is saying here is that if our hearts are turned towards God, they are turned away from selfish gain. 
And if our hearts are turned towards selfish gain, then they are turned away from God's ways. One affects the other. Now, we do it all the time, but we just don't know we do it. Like in a subconscious, instinctive way, we do it all the time. The sky is up, so it's not down, right? Adam's shirt is blue, so it's not red. This message is awesome, so it's not terrible. It's an opportunity for an amen. I teed it up and everything. You didn't even take it. Now, side note here, we are in this very weird cultural moment where people insist on defining their own truth. I think Adam's shirt is red. It's my truth. The problem is that no matter how strongly you believe that, my shirt is not going to turn red. Somehow we appointed ourselves as the definers of truth. And I'm going to tell you this, we were not meant to define truth. Somebody did that for us. We were meant to discern truth and we were meant to use God's word to do it. And we can see this very kind of paradox in the parable. When the son left his father, what was he facing? He was facing the world and the pleasures he wanted to pursue. His back was to his father. And as he moved towards the world, he only moved further away from his father. And when he had that moment where he came to his senses and he turned back to his heavenly father, now his back was to the world. And as he moved towards his father, he moved away from the world that had let him down. Here's the point. Almost always, when we turn towards something, we turn away from something else. It's a sacrifice. It may be a calcul calculated one, but it's a sacrifice. To have great relationships with people requires a kind of commitment and sacrifice like this. There may be things that you'll need to give up. At a minimum, you will have to invest some time and energy in that relationship. But one thing this parable teaches us is that anything we give up, it pales in comparison to what we might gain. Paul said it this way when he realized what he had gained in his own relationship with Jesus. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else. And he had a lot to throw away. Counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. So here's the question to consider. Are you even facing the right direction to have the kinds of relationships you want? Are you even facing the right direction? Or is it time to turn around? Is it time to turn towards Forgiveness and learn to honor again. Is it time to turn towards vulnerability and taking a risk, joining a small group? Maybe it's time to turn around. So while these are the things that we can learn about great relationships from this parable, there are also a couple of other things here that we just have to deal with. 
The parable of the prodigal son is about the prodigal. The question is, which son is the prodigal? And the answer is both. Both sons are the prodigal. And the truth of it is that we all fit into this paradigm. Nearly everyone is a Pharisee or a prodigal. The only exception is those of us who are both. The younger son was clearly a prodigal. But the older son was both a Pharisee and a prodigal. Because in the story, both sons rejected the father. The younger son rejected his father because of his desire for pleasure. And the older son rejected his father because of his pride. And before we're too hard on them, before we judge each of them too harshly, we need to recognize that without God's grace in our lives, we would all be enslaved by the very same appetites. It could be our appetite for self-gratification, like the younger brother. It could be our appetite for self-justification, like the older brother. But the reality is this. Both appetites fall short of what God made us for. God came into the world he made in the person of Jesus to help us understand that only at the cross can we be justified and only in his presence can we be satisfied. Only at the cross can we be justified. Nowhere else. Only in his presence will we ever be satisfied. Nowhere else. Now one more thing to deal with in this text is how the younger son appears to have totally gotten away with it. There's no apparent price paid for his selfishness and rebellion against his father. He walked away from his father, took everything he had and blew it, then came back with his tail between his legs and was totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. As you read the story, it can be easy to think there was no price paid for the younger brother to return. But if you look a little closer, you can see that it's not true. Remember what the father said to the older son. Verse 31, everything I have is yours. So when the younger son returned and was given a ring and a robe and a party, who did that stuff belong to? It belonged to the older brother. The older brother paid the price for the younger brother to return. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What other son does God have who gave up what belonged to him so that we could return to our father? It's Jesus. The only difference is that Jesus wasn't salty about it. He chose to give up what belonged to him out of his love for you and me. Paul describes it like this. If you want to know what it looks like to have great relationships, if you want to know what it takes to cultivate that kind of character, here it is. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you ever get confused when you're reading a parable, just ask yourself this question. Where do I see Jesus? Because they almost always point to him. Here in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus brilliantly calls out our rebellion while at the same time showing us that he paid for it so that we could return to God our Father. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you saw us from a long way off and you came for us, you ran to us, you celebrated our return. We didn't deserve any of that. We don't, but we are grateful for it. And I pray that you will cultivate in us the kind of character we need to be courageous, to sacrifice, to show honor. We might enjoy the fellowship of being your children. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. Just give you guys a little bit of space to consider what might God be saying to you and what do you want to do with that? Maybe you're ready. Maybe you want to start building the kinds of relationships we're talking about, but you know, you know that to build relationships that can encourage you, challenge you, inspire you, it's going to mean you've got to cultivate some new character. I would say this, things like courage, honor, sacrifice, they're like anything else. You get good at them by practicing. So make this your next step. Text that word connect to 32320. Find a group of people who will push you in those ways. I know it can be a scary first step, but it's also scary to suffer from a lack of connection with one another. Maybe you're already in a small group. Maybe you've got a great group of people around you. Maybe today the question you should be asking is, is there room for one more? One more person, one more couple. Is there room for anybody else here? If that's you, then I'd encourage you to light a candle today. Ask God to bring his light into that question for you, to show you who it might be and how you might take that step of inviting someone else in. There may be some of you today who are thinking, it's time for me to turn around. Like the prodigal, you feel like your back has been to God, and you're ready to stop moving away from him. If that's you, then I'd encourage you to go to a cross, write down on a piece of paper, I'm turning around, or I'm coming home, or something. The only condition with this one is you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell someone. It's not easy for us in this relationship with God. It's not easy to follow God in a world that's continuously moving away from him. So you've got to tell somebody, a friend, a family member, a pastor. We would love to help you. Also, as a part of response, we're going to have prayer team members down here who would love 
to pray with you who would love to help you carry anything that you're willing to share with them. And then finally, let's, let's be courageous. Let's give generously however God might lead you to do so. And then let's stand together and worship the God who ran after us and brought us home. So let's respond now.